Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We are going to dive straight in. And uh, last week we looked at the conspiracy theories found in Isaiah chapter 8 and what God had to say about them. And uh, really just looking at how to stand in the midst of tensions that are global and local without, but then the swirling stories that are within, and how to kind of keep the main thing the main thing in the midst of so much going on all around us. And, um, and so we looked at that and looked at what the prophet Isaiah had to say about that. We looked at stand, stay, uh, pause, pray, weigh, and slay. And, um, and, and so we're still in Isaiah today. We looked at Isaiah chapter 8 and a little bit of chapter 9, and we talked about the fact that Isaiah was speaking in a situation where King Ahaz really trusted in everything around him rather than the Lord his God. When um, the king of Aram and the king of Israel combined forces against him, rather than asking God what he should do, he called out to the king of Assyria, the then world superpower, who was unprecedented in their war crimes and their cruelty, both towards people and towards the land. And uh, he yelled out and said, Tilgath Pulissa. That's probably not how he says his name, but let's go with it. Tilgath Pulissa different again. Um, would you come and help me? Would you be my saviour? Would you rescue me? Something that should have been reserved for his prayer to God. He cries out for the king of Assyria and says, come and save me. And, uh, and so, in fact, um, this wicked king continues in his ways. Uh, we read that in Kings that he actually sacrifices his um, son to the god Chemosh. And he's looking at everything around him to intervene and whatever he can do rather than standing and looking to God. And in the midst of our tensions, we can stand and look to God. And, and Isaiah comes along with his two kids, Shir Jashub, which means a remnant will return, and Ma'ashalashbaj, which means quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. And he stands with them and says, well, these show you, these are a sign to you that says that actually we're going to stay. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay in the land and we don't need to worry about everyone else. We'll stand, we'll stay, we'll pause, we won't jump to conclusions, we'll pray, we'll inquire of the Lord our God. And then we'll weigh and we'll just get on and slay, girl, slay. That's in Isaiah chapter 8. Slay, girl. No, it's not really. Okay, so we're five years later and King Ahaz is dead. I feel like Olaf from Frozen 2. King Ahaz is dead. And, um, and, and what happens is that King Hezekiah is now on the scene and he's a good king. And he does what King Ahaz never would have done. And he tears down every pagan worship shrine in the, in the kingdom. And he turns everyone's hearts back to God. And it's like this, yes, we're on the right track again. We're going after God again. And he's a good king. And there's peace in his lifetime. But what happens is that the Babylonian envoys come to him. So King Sennacherib of Babylon sends his envoys to check out the strength of this new king, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah says, oh, come in. He tries to show that he's a big boy on the world stage. Who was our Prime Minister um, when we went to Vietnam? Does anyone remember? I don't remember. And neither do you. That's a shame. Um, great world history, guys. Um, but, you know, I remember in, in history that they told us that the Prime Minister at the time, he wanted to be a big boy on the world stage. And so that's why he got Australia involved in the war in Vietnam. And so, so King Hezekiah is a bit like this. He's like, he wants to show them that he's, he's a major player. He's at the table. He's got the cash. He can play the big rounds. And he gets there and he says, oh, come in, envoys from Babylon. 
Let me show you all my treasury. Let me show you all my armory. Let me show you. And the Bible says there was nothing in his palace or his kingdom that he did not show the envoys from Babylon. He was having a look moy moment. And, uh, and so that's when um, Isaiah goes to him and says, you know what, Hezekiah, the day is going to come when Babylon will actually carry everything off from your kingdom. Everything's going to be taken. Your descendants will be made eunuchs in the courts of Babylon. And Hezekiah says this. He said, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good because he thought, well, there'll be peace in my lifetime. And we can look at that and go, Hezekiah, how can you say that about your grandchildren? That it, well, that's fine because I'm going to be fine. But maybe we can identify with it because when we say the word of the government through Josh Frydenberg is good as he announces a billion-dollar deficit in the budget, and we say, well, that sounds all right because of what it means for me in my lifetime, and who's going to pay for it? Your children and your children and their children and their children. And we might say, well, the Great Barrier Reef has gone to whatever, but, you know, what? my little recycling bin, my yellow bin that I put out fortnightly, it doesn't make a difference. I'm like, look around the world, everyone's not recycling, so what difference is my bin going to make? And we're like, and, and anyway, it's probably not going to affect me. Who is it going to affect? Your children and your children and their children and their children. And so we can see that while we might call Hezekiah a little bit selfish, we can identify with that kind of selfish thought as well. And chapter 39 ends with Hezekiah saying that statement, and chapter 40 begins, and it's a whole new world in Isaiah because now the people are in exile and everything that Isaiah has prophesied is happening. They're gone. They're out of the land. It's devastating. And from chapter 40 to 55, it starts, comfort, comfort, my people. Now it's not a word of warning. It's a word of comfort because now it's all taken place. It's all happened. And it's in these chapters that we see the beautiful prophecies about Jesus the suffering servant who comes and does a new thing amongst us. And um, King Cyrus, then, miraculously, the foreign king who now all the slaves are his, all the plunder is his, he has a revelation and says, I want you Israelites to go back and rediscover your national identity and rebuild your temple. It's, it's unheard of, it's miraculous, that would not happen. But he sends them, this foreign king sends them out. And then the book of Isaiah changes again, chapter 56, and gives instruction for how they are to return. And we read something here, one of the instructions, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 4. But this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Instructions on how the eunuchs that return are to relate in the house of God. Now, I understand that eunuch is not a commonly used word in our modern day society. So I'm going to explain to you what a eunuch is by referring to my farm girl upbringing. When dad used to mark the lambs, it was our job as kids and, and mum as well. We'd grab the lambs, we'd fold their front legs, yes, legs, <laughs> over and their back legs under and we'd hold them like that and their back would rest against our chest like that. And dad would bring out this implement that would, and I'm sorry if this offends your sensibilities, this is part of being an Australian, maybe. 
Um, at least it'll give you information for your next um, protest march. Okay, so, um, so he grabs an um, implement that has like a special little cutout to mark them as ours, snips a bit out of their ear, then grabs another implement, puts a little ring on it, pushes that as well, stretches it, goes over the lamb's tail, cuts off the circulation to the lamb's tail, so eventually the lamb's tail drops off, meaning that it doesn't get big and dirty and fat and all the feces get caught in and all the flies swarm around it, okay? Also, if it was a boy, little lammy, what would happen? Would Dad would get another ring, put it on the implement again, and find its two testes, put the ring over that, and then that ring would also um, drop the circulation to its testicles, and the testicles would drop off as well. Every man in church went, and, uh, and said, please stop talking about this. Well, not yet, okay? So, um, so that was what a eunuch lamb was, but in these days, there were men who were eunuchs. They were castrated males. And so here, Isaiah is saying, if those eunuchs will keep my Sabbath day holy, I'm going to give them an everlasting name because, let's face it, they can't have an everlasting name through procreation. He says, I'm going to give them an everlasting name. And, and, and their name, it says in the version we read, it will never disappear. But in the original, it says, it will never be cut off because something else was. And so, um, so he says, the name I will give them will never disappear. Well, hold on, Isaiah, just a moment. Because if we go back to Leviticus, no, to Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 1, the law was given to Moses. And this is what the law says. If Moses can say it, I can say it. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Let's just pretend this is a biology class and none of this is weird or awkward, okay? So here it says that if that appendage is gone from a male, then they cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, well, one for one, I suppose. Isaiah is saying one thing, Moses another. Leviticus chapter 21 Verse 17, give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, none of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed, or has a broken foot or arm or is hunchback or dwarfed or has a defective eye or skin sores or scabs or damaged testicles. So here we have it. Isaiah is out of line. He is going against the law of Moses and somebody should speak to him. And uh, it's such gall. And I wonder if you ever kind of think, well, why? Why is there such a clear instruction given here? And then a short time later, such a, which is actually hundreds of years, which is actually such a different instruction over here. And, and why would the Bible contradict itself in such a manner? And why on earth in the 21st century are we talking about eunuchs? Am I right? Well, I wanted to choose a non-emotional issue that I didn't think that many people would be um, suffering from to bring out this truth. And because the church is increasingly under attack and our young people are increasingly more and more under attack, where, where the ancient writings of Confucius and Buddha and whoever else and whatever else are readily accepted, but the ancient text of the Word of God is seen as archaic and ancient and out of date and irrelevant. And so I wonder what our response should be and how we can have trust in it when people will say to us, well, it even contradicts itself. And I want us to look at that this morning, to, to recognise that this is incredibly pertinent and undeniably relevant to our day-to-day life right now. So 
I pray that just as we saw last week, the conspiracy theories that are talked about in Isaiah are just as pertinent today, that we can talk about this, that though the exact issue might not be as pertinent, that is as relevant today. How do we navigate this progressive world when something I base my faith off is ancient? The culture is saying it's outdated and archaic and irrelevant, so how do I navigate it? Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just ask for you, Holy Spirit, to enlighten us and to open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, to give us uh, tools in our weaponry, Lord God, that we might be able to answer um, when people ask us things. That we might even, the questions that arise in ourselves as people raise issues, God, that you might be able to settle them and bring peace to them. And Lord, we might have a greater understanding in Jesus' name. Now, I know that in the room today, there'd be those of us who are just like, well, that's the word of God. Um, it says it, that settles it, I believe it, done. No questions asked, don't even need to think about anything else. Every word is literal. I don't care that that is different to that. It doesn't matter, it's all literal. We, we kind of, there might be those that think that. There might be those who have so elevated the human authorship element that you've forgotten about the Spirit of God breathing on it. There might be those of you who are just like, yeah, I believe in God, but, but a book I'm not sure about. There might be those of you who are just like, yeah, I'm just here with them. I'm only here because they're here and, and it keeps peace in our household for me to be here. There might be those of you who are like every, every I just, just discount the human element altogether and any iteration of that. But what I want to tell you this morning is that actually the Bible is progressive. The Bible itself is progressive. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel because there's a modern-day connotation to the word progressive. And that word is a, a social reform activist, and, and while that's not necessarily bad, the image that we get in our heads is maybe this image and, and this lady here, when we think of a social reform activist who, when I say this lady, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about this lady. Yeah, okay, maybe I'm talking about me. <laughs> um, I don't know if we've got that image that was up the back. Um, well, if you find that, throw it up and people will know what I'm talking about. But this is the kind of thing that we get when we think of um, progression and, and progressive people. And, and we have this, this negative connotation towards it, an outrage culture, a cancel culture, all that kind of thing. But I'm not talking about the modern day uh, context or connotation of, um, yeah, there she is. And uh, I'm mad about something I never researched. Um, you know, that's the kind of activist that we, that we think about. So that's cool. Um, thank you for finding that. But I'm talking about the original meaning of the word progressive, where it means something happening or developing in stages and unfolding gradually. And I believe that that, that is true of who God is, that he unveils himself to us gradually as we can handle it, as we can receive it. He meets us where our understanding of God is and then leads us into a better understanding of who he is. I believe it's true of me. I believed that um, God was angry and that unless I followed him, I would go to hell, which, you know, let's face it. And so that's why I committed my life to him. I was staring down the barrel of everything that I wanted to do <clears throat> and I saw that God was a God of rules who wanted to stop a lot of my fun. But if I did go down that track, that I would go to hell. And so I decided to follow him. Well, he met me where I was at. And then he led me a better, to a better understanding of who he is, who is a God of grace, <clears throat> who when I did something wrong, he didn't punish me for it and didn't push me away or put me in time out, but drew me close 
and said, my grace is sufficient for you and said, so this is why I, I laid down my life for you because I knew you were going to do that very thing. And so he drew me to a better understanding of who he was because he knew that an angry God couldn't keep me following him, but a grace-filled, loving God was exactly what I needed. And so he takes us where we are and he leads us to a better understanding of who he is. And I believe that's true of the Bible. He meets people where they are at and then he leads them to a better understanding of who he is. If you're still like, oh, calling the Bible progressive, Bron, I don't, I don't know. I just would invite you to bring your hesitations this morning and let's continue along and explore this. Isaiah chapter 56, let's read that instruction about the eunuchs in its context. Okay, so the exiles are coming back and this is what it says. Isaiah 56 verse 1, this is what the Lord says, be just and fair to all, do what is right and good for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honour my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. We're making a big deal of the Sabbath here because don't forget that King Ahaz had run around trying to do everything himself rather than just resting and trusting in the Lord his God. So when God's bringing the exiles back, he wants to ensure that they're going to take the rest required and trust in God. Verse 3, don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. Have you ever had that thought? The Lord will never let me be a part of his people. Well, here God is saying that the very people that he said in Deuteronomy couldn't join, now can join. And it says here, and don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future in a society where, where legacy was so important. He says, For this is what the Lord says, Oh, bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls. So that was previously said that they're excluded. I'm bringing them in and including them within the walls of my house, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord who serve him and love his name, who worship him and who do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I'll bring them to the holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy. This is the outsiders. will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. So firstly, let's just acknowledge that God will break his own box. God will bust outside the box that he's even created and set himself in the law of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he will bust out of that. So let's not ask, subtitle, try and stuff him into one. Because he breaks his own box. He breaks his own box all the time to include people that others have called excluded. And he, he draws all people to himself. God will break his own box, so let's not try to stuff him into one. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 25 says about the, we, we talked last week all about what Assyria was like and what Egypt was like. But in verse 25 of Isaiah chapter 19, it says, The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. That would not have been music to the Israelites' ears. Those people were their enemies and God's saying, I'm going to draw them close. I'm going to call them mine as well. So be careful who you say is not accepted before God because he might turn around and call them 
his people. Secondly, God colours outside the lines because he cares about what's inside the heart. There's this moment in Mark, in the book of Mark, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and, and they're getting into him and saying, why aren't the disciples washing their hands like we know that you're supposed to? And Jesus says, well, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. Jesus states it really plainly, speaking of biology classes. He said, what goes into a man goes into his stomach, gets processed, and then gets passed out. He said, but what defiles a man is what comes out of a man because what comes out of us is the evil thoughts, the theft, adultery, sexual immorality, all the things, they come up out of our hearts and that's what defiles us rather than what is going into us. And so he redefines what purity looks like. He says it's all about the heart. And having redefined what it looks like, then he goes to the unclean regions of Tyre and Sidon and he goes and finds unclean people to minister to. And the first one that he sees is a woman. She comes up and begs Jesus to help her daughter, much like Jairus had just begged Jesus to help his daughter back on the other side of the lake. And he begs, she begs Jesus. And he, he says something that's a little bit rattling, particularly in our 21st connotation of the word dog. Like, that's not something that you like to call people, a dog. But he says, why would I give to the dogs what's meant for the children? Saying, you know, I'm, I'm here to minister to the people of Israel, to the Jews. And she says, well, Jesus, even the dogs eat the scraps from the table. And Jesus goes, ah, I see some faith here. Let's go. And he goes about doing exactly the same things among the Gentiles that he'd done on the other side of the lake. He heals her daughter just like he healed Jairus' daughter. He delivers her. He allows her to come to him, crossing all the social norms and and all the ways that you're supposed to relate to each other. He he heals the deaf and mute man like he'd healed over the other side. And then he goes and um, feeds 4,000 like he'd just fed the 5,000 on the other side. He goes into these regions where people are shunned and said they're not our people and does exactly the same things with them that he'd just done on the other side of the lake. Why? Because in Isaiah 43, it tells us, in the middle of all, this, all the prophecies about Jesus, it says in verse 18, Isaiah 43, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. It's happening. I'm not gonna, it's not like it's been before. Now to them, it meant coming home, coming out of exile. But really, in the midst of all these prophecies about Jesus, he was talking about the new thing that he was doing, a new system, a new way of worship, a new way of interacting, a new way of including all people, all who would say yes and follow him and do what he asks. Everyone, available to everyone. Which begs the question, if that's the case, and and the Bible's moving towards this, this idea and moving towards something different than Where does that stop? Because I don't know about you, but when I hear progressive Christianity, my gills go up. I'm like, ooh, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, Bill Johnson says that Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And so while we've got all these hints all along the way of God's inclusive plan, that, that, you know, over here we've got um, Rahab, the prostitute, who helps deliver the people of Israel, while we've got Ruth here being used, um, even though she's a Moabite, being included into the assembly and part of the lineage of Jesus. Uh, While we've got, you know, yes, the law's given, but there's hints in the law even of inclusion there. 
And then you've got Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. Or let's put Isaiah there. And then, you know, saying that everyone's welcome and coming to the assembly of God, foreigners and eunuchs alike. And then you've got Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. And then you've got him going to the regions of Tyre and Sidon as well. And it's all moving too, but, but where does this stop? Well, it stops with Jesus. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And we look into who Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus, and say, well, that's where, that's the lens, that's the pentultimate, that's where it starts, that's where it stops, that's where it finishes. We don't move beyond Jesus. Anything that we see on the other side of Jesus is just out of the revelation of who Jesus is. We don't move beyond who he is. So let me read you a scripture that you would all know, or most of you would know. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we say yesterday, we're not talking about the 10th of October. We're saying Jesus who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by Him all things were created in John chapter 1. We're talking about Jesus, who was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. We're talking about Jesus, who was the light that came into the world, and the darkness could not overcome it. We're talking about Jesus, and Jesus is God, and God's revelation of who He is um, shown to us. We don't go beyond who He is. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago... God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, like Isaiah. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. So right back at the start, Jesus was there and the universe created through him. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honour the, at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So, so Jesus lived this life, showing us this new way and then putting a framework around that to say, this is how you live now. This is how you live. You, you don't need to go through all those laws. That obviously, you don't need to have who's in and who's out. You just need to concentrate on looking at me and having a relationship with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. John 1.14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hear people described as full of truth. That's not something that I hear people describe, but Jesus came full of truth. And he is the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 to 36. And you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. James 1, 25. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And that law is not talking about the law of Deuteronomy, the law about who's in and who's out. It's talking about Jesus and his new law and his rewrite of the law. And it's saying, if you just keep your eyes on Jesus, then he's going to draw you into all truth. He's going to reveal to you what it looks like. You you don't need to worry about these questions and, 
and when, and when people start to make you feel like this is irrelevant, Jesus is the one who permeates through this whole book, 66 books, 40 different authors written over thousands of years, and Jesus permeates through the whole book and shows us who he is and what he's about, which is about saving us. For all who would say yes to him, him for all who would follow him, that is who he is. You see, he never changed. He never changed. It was just our revelation of him that changed. All through this, this is just our revelation of who he is that is changing. It's not him changing at all. And that revelation is shown through the life of Jesus Christ who invites us into relationship with him. And so this morning, have you thought about that? And how often do you try to be, just think about what this says and how this relates to that and whatnot? And how much do you really just think about Jesus? And who he is asking you to be and how he's asking you to lay your life down and to follow him and how he's asking you to take up your cross and follow him. To not worry about what the world says or what anyone else says, but just to keep your eyes fixed on him and keep following him. You see, Jesus was radical and revolutionary when he walked the earth. And he is still the most compelling figure in all of history. So young people in particular today, young people, when anyone tries to tell you that this is archaic and ancient and irrelevant, this book is all a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, whose teachings still are the most revolutionary among any today. Don't feel like you're maybe in, inside of a system that is second best or that, that, that is increasingly outdated. It is not the case. As you continue to look at who Jesus is, you will find the most radical and revolutionary figure throughout all of history and who is just as radical and revolutionary today. So let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Because Jesus knows you and he loves you. And everything that he did right through all of history was to bring you to an understanding of who he is and how much he loves you and how much he wants you to be in relationship with him. So this morning, if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your head, to block out all distractions and consider this question, do you know him? And I'm going to ask you the question, do you want to know him today? Do you want to know him? All that is required for you to know him and actually to be restored in right relationship with God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now, Jesus is Lord is no easy, simple statement. He's, that's making him Lord of your life. That's making him boss of your life. That's saying, I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to go yours. But maybe this morning you're ready for that and you want to know him. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three and I'd love you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you just where you are. I won't mention you by name. I won't call you out. I just want to pray for you where you are. We're going to pray all together and then I'd love to pray for you. So firstly, let's pray all together. Dear Jesus, Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for making a way for me to know you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be a Christian. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I repent of my sin. I repent of my past and I turn to you. Forgive me 
heal me and give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.